0: Jesse, how's it going?
1: It's good, Katie. It sort of feels like a transitional time. I don't know. Well, you guys
0: don't... You're transitioning? I'm transitioning. <laughs> this is great news. Great news for the podcast. Mm-hmm. This is exactly what we need to take this to the next level. Exactly. To so get in like the, the top 1,000 podcasts in iTunes, I think you transitioning uh, would really do.
1: Yeah. It. You know, it's that time of the year. The leaves change. You start to ask questions about your body and your, <laughs> if you're comfortable in it. Um, well, so I was going to ask you how... The weather is there. My understanding is you guys don't have weather anymore. You're just encased in a shroud of smoke. Do you have weather? Is it changing?
0: No, it's not changing. It's this. It's weird. It looks like if you looked outside, you'd be like, "Oh, it's like kind of like a nice foggy fall day." But then you start to like smell it, and it's like, "Oh no, the world is on fire. This is not fog. This is poison." Here in
1: New England, where I am at the moment, it there has been a marked change. Like fall is definitely about to arrive, and it, it made me think about a memory from this past summer.
0: Oh yeah, let's uh, hear it.
1: So, I was uh, on a beach basically. It was sort of like a, with me, uh, four or five people around a bonfire, socially distanced, of course. And this was a beach that's sort of like um, a tidal beach on Cape Cod. There's water everywhere. It's not a beach where you're going to start a fire. And like, it's just, there was no real risk. So, we're just sitting there drinking beer around a fire. And this dude approaches and he's like, "Eh, well, you know, you're not allowed to have uh, open flame on this beach. I'm not going to report you, but I just wanted you to know you're not allowed to. And we just sort of like side-eyed him. We're like, Karen, okay. Yeah, exactly. It was basically a Karen. And I just – he just sort of repeated that again. Like he emphasized again. He wanted us to know that he knew the rule and we were technically violating it with our – Tiny fire with like basically water in every direction, nothing for it to even catch on. And I just thought he became like a symbol during this miserable summer, miserable year of just everything wrong in the world. Like the sort of person – like I imagine him calling 911 and being like, like uh, emer- hello, 911, what's your emergency? Be like, um, People are having fun and I'm not there and I want to ruin it somehow. Oh, yeah, totally. That's the very Karen move. And So I think there's something to this, like, imagine just looking at a beach and you see these people enjoying a fire and just wanting to wreck it somehow I I think that's a real personality type and we've both encountered it a little bit
0: I think I might actually be that personality type
1: (laughs) you would try to ruin the the (laughs) the pleasant little midsummer evening bonfire
0: I might not like I wouldn't call the police but would I personally scold you well maybe yeah like I I just started going back to the why because of the smoke now like my gym just opened and normally I just like pay for the membership and I never go that's how I like to, to do my exercise. But because we've been like smoked in for the past week, I've been going like three times a day. I only go for fifteen minutes at a time because I don't want to get burnt out. Um, but what I do when I go there is like I walk around this track and then I just glare at people who aren't wearing masks. That's the that real exercise. Sense. Yeah.
1: Doesn't the if you glare, it exercises extra muscles in your face and yeah. increases your calorie
0: burn, right? Exactly. It's high intensity.
1: 911, what's your emergency? Uh, I'm a miserable piece of shit, and I want everyone else (laughs) to be miserable, too. Can you uh, send the cops? Uh, Exactly. What's the name of this here Karen Heavy Podcast?
0: This is Blocked and Reported, and I'm Katie Herzog.
1: I'm Jesse Single, and Katie, I would like to know, have you seen any good movies lately?
0: Ah, good question, Jesse. You know, I did see recently, I think it was called... um, uh kindergarten hot cop i did see that one <laughs> um I, uh uh tween tween uh carpet bangers have you seen that one too also very good very it's uh high classic yeah I watched high it. production I watched values. It a lot. Yes. oh and there was this other one um i think it was called cuties have you seen that i did in fact watch cuties
1: earlier this week what day is it who knows yeah earlier this week and i feel like i should hasten to add i watched it with a adult female Definitely of age, so just just so no one gets any wrong ideas. This,
0: you did not watch it while you were babysitting.
1: <laughs> you could just learn how to do these dances. That's how you make money in the <laughs> in the gig economy. Uh, so yeah, Cuties is a a film by a uh, I believe French Senegalese director it is about a eleven year old you know French Senegalese immigrant. Uh, I think it's Paris, assumed to be Paris, and and she's sort of pulled in these two directions. One is uh, she's from a conservative Muslim family, you know, recently from Senegal, sort of village life, very patriarchal. And then she finds this group of, of sort of bad girls in her school who are doing twerking videos. And this film has caused some controversy. And I know this in part because you did some early tweeting about it before you even watched it, right?
0: (laughs) That was actually the rule. You had to tweet about it before you watched it. Yeah, so this film did cause a massive amount of controversy. I've honestly, like, we'll get into the details about the film and and what the controversy is in a little bit. And also, I should mention here that at the end of the show, we're going to bring in uh, Reason Magazine's Elizabeth Nolan Brown to talk more broadly about sex panic. So look forward to that in a few minutes. Um, But for now, cuties. Um, So this film... What happened is that Netflix put up. It was. It, it's a French film, as you mentioned, but it was. It, it's now distributed through Netflix, and Netflix did something very stupid with their marketing. Um, and the the like promotional images, they chose these images of these girls wearing, you know, scant. They're scantily clad, and these are not. They're not wearing like thongs or anything like that. What they're wearing is is an outfit that you would see on a like a. a a adolescent or teenage or preteen girl dance club um it's not that that's the issue as much as much as they're they're like faces which are sort of like fuck me faces which is uncomfortable to see on an 11 year old um so Netflix released this promotional poster, huge outcry. And then the outcry, you know, kind of, but no, the movie wasn't out yet. So the outcry kind of like died down for a couple of days. And then on September 9th, um, a woman from the Daily Caller named Mary Margaret Olihan, um, she, she tweeted a clip from the movie. And this is the text that she added. Netflix is comfortable with this. Plenty of people will defend it. This is where our culture is at. And so this clip that she attached is of the it's of the most salacious scene in the movie, um, or one of the more salacious scenes in the movie, and it's this it's this pretty disturbing clip of these girls twerking and doing these like very sexual sort of cardi b uh, wop dances um and it's sort of ironic that she attached this because i looked at it last night at the, the the tweet last night and it had 22 million views so she attached this clip that a lot of people um called child pornography to <laughs> you know to her tweet that went wildly viral so she was bait like so the conversation became like, is Netflix no, – not even is Netflix, but Netflix is, is distributing child pornography. And then a person against it distributes the child pornography that they're accusing Netflix of distributing.
1: So, so she's literally a child pornographer.
0: She's a child pornographer, as is uh, um, Tulsi Gabbard. So Tulsi Gabbard got in on this. She tweeted – At Netflix, child porn cuties will certainly whet the appetite of pedophiles and help fuel the child sex trafficking trade. One in four victims of trafficking are children. It happened to my friend's 13-year-old. Netflix, you are now complicit. Cancel Netflix. So, once again, she attached an image from this film. So, Tulsi Gabbard, who is accusing... Netflix of distributing child pornography, also distributing child pornography. Um, This also went wildly viral. So this whole thing—I mean, you were mostly off Twitter in the last couple of couple of weeks. um, Unfortunately for me, because one of my primary inside hobbies is watching you humiliate yourself on Twitter, (laughs) and and especially like during this, like, yeah, one of this, like, this, like horrible, smoke-filled time. This has been really hard for me not to have this outlet, Jesse, so I would appreciate it if you would get back on the app. Um, anyway, uh, we'll talk about that off- offline. Um, anyway, so this goes, this whole conversation really starts to dominate Twitter over a couple of days, and people started to try to inject some nuance into this, people who had actually seen the film.
1: I, can I just say, I don't really like that idea of people who have seen something or read something participating in the conversation about it. That's not in the spirit of Twitter at all.
0: No, it is not. The less information you have the better um, and so any anytime i've never seen anything like this if you said anything even remotely nuanced or positive about this film which is an award-winning winning film and is as we'll talk it is really quite good um, instant ratio i mean instant fucking ratio so i did the natural thing here before i'd even seen the film and and start to troll people um, so i said things like you know <laughs> This is like my entire fucking week was tweeting about cuties. Um, I said something like, um, "You know, I I get the problem with cuties, really, not enough sex." Uh, that one, that one went, that one went over pretty well. Gonna start addressing my followers as cuties. That was a good one. Okay, and then. I, I treated something with some like actual substance, I think, which was I said, I realize I'm stepping on a hornet's nest here. But how do so many of you seem to know that Cutie's actors were exploited? That, which is this common thing that kept coming up. People kept talking about how this film was exploitation. They mostly hadn't seen it, but they were convinced that these actors had been exploited. And I said, were you on set? Have there been any complaints or is it more like a feeling instant fucking ratio? I don't know that I've ever been ratioed as quickly as I had tweeting anything. And I kept seeing this over and over again. Anybody who would defend this film, just instant fucking ratio. I mean, it was like a bot army, except they weren't actually bots. They were just people convinced that like the children were being hurt. Meanwhile, there have been the director has been has done some um, has done some interviews about this. It turns out that she made this movie because she was like walking through a park in Paris and she saw these 11-year-olds twerking and she was uncomfortable about this. And so the entire film is about the sexualization of children and it's and it's interesting because it it contrasts these two worlds, this sort of western Parisian hypersexualized online world where these girls are watching explicit videos or maybe not even explicit but they're just like on social media and the messages that they're receiving from social media is that sex is power and that you need to you know use your use your body to get what you want in the world and they try to do that and they actually don't do a very good job i mean people are sort of the film people act like people who primarily haven't seen it are acting like these girls are like having sex on on tv that's not happening there's like there's no sex in the movie there's not even really any nudity in the movie
1: so i mean i guess we should get more into like sort of the the actual film what we we liked and disliked so it's like the film did a good job of showing how okay first of all 10 and 11 um i i apologize for denigrating your entire gender or sex but Middle school girls are psychopaths.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's been a long time since I was in middle school, and I think things are definitely worse now. Um, Like, there was, for sure, there was a sexualization of children when I was in school. This was sort of, I'm about the same age as Britney Spears. This was sort of the Britney Spears era. And even before that, when I was a little kid, like my mom was a feminist, is a feminist, and she had a problem with, uh, you know, like my sister and I weren't allowed to do like dance classes and not that I would want to, but like dance classes and pageant shit because she was concerned about the hypersexualization of young children. This is not a particularly new thing. What is new is that now there's social media and kids are exposed to things like pornography and have just have access to like adult culture in a way that they didn't when, you know, when we were kids.
1: Yeah, well, and so what I was saying is like, even without that, I just remember in right. middle school, like the, the, you know, these intense friendships where especially, yeah. it was all especially among girls. I think boys are too busy being like depressed or masturbating or beating one up, another up. They haven't mastered like the emotional warfare. And I don't, I don't think males ever catch up. <laughs> in terms of but like among like middle school female friends it's just this really intense thing who's in the in group who's out people get just like
0: It's fucking brutal. Yeah,
1: and it feels like life and death at that age. And I feel like what the film did a good job of was just capturing this sort of immediate pre-adolescent craziness. Like these girls are just crazy. They're running around, they're fighting everyone, they're laughing, they're crying. It was good at that. And of course, in 2020 you have this extra element of they're on social media every day and they are building their own social media identity. So to me, like the best and most authentic feeling parts of the film were just about what it's like to be that age. I mean, I don't know what it's like to be that age as a girl, but it, 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 there was something authentic about that that even made me think back to like middle school and how, every, how insane everything was. I guess, so the idea that the girls were exploited or that this will be like bait for traffickers or child molesters – Makes no sense to me because there is no shortage of fodder. If, you're, if you are into kids in that way, you do not need Netflix to provide you this fodder.
0: Much to Ted Cruz's chagrin, the FBI is not going to raid anyone's house because they have fucking cuties on their Netflix queue. No.
1: I, I did think in in this tightrope uh, walk the director was trying to do where you talk about how the 10- the and 11-year-olds are weird about sex. They're just becoming aware of it. They don't know how to act. They're getting all these cultural messages, especially if they're girls. There were clearly shots in the movie that were trying to directly replicate like how these shots look in music videos. And there were like shots, sort of close ups of these girls like asses and bare midriffs that I thought I, I didn't think there was anything like reactionary to be like, well, that's a little weird. And I think that's part of the point of the movie is to make you feel uncomfortable because this is uncomfortable.
0: Right. I mean, that's the thing. It's like this is art. Good art can make you feel uncomfortable, and she clearly succeeded, but the reaction to this film was just fucking insane. Like, Cancel Netflix was trending, Ted Cruz sent a letter to the Department of Justice requesting an investigation into a French film. He said, "I like. I have the letter up. Let me let me read you part of it. These scenes, in and of themselves, are harmful. And it is likely that the filming of this movie created even more explicit and abusive scenes. And that pedophiles across the world in the future will manipulate and imitate this film in abusive ways." He has no fucking evidence of that. And this idea that this film was harmful, that the filming of the f- of the film was harmful, there's also no evidence of that. In interviews, the director, whose name I'm not going to try to pronounce because I will butcher it, um, the the director says, like i like. I worked with parents. I interviewed seven hundred girls to find the right ones. We had child psychologists on staff. And these clips, these like twerking scenes, the dancing scenes, were filmed, they were composite. There's this one scene in the film where sort of the penultimate scene where these girls are part of a dance competition and they're on stage and they're sort of writhing around and it's uncomfortable. And and the you can see people in the audience. The more sexual, the more explicit these girls get, the more the audience is is like uh, like turned off by it. They're not getting they're the reinforcement that these girls were getting is not that sexuality that is a way of gaining power. They're act- The message that they should be absorbing from the people around them is that we don't like this. Like, nobody actually exploits them in the film. They sort of try to exploit themselves. Yeah. Um, they try to harness their sexuality in a way that will get them things. And it doesn't work because people are actually disgusted by it.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, there's a scene where they sort of hit on older boys and the older boys are like, you're 11. Yeah. Parents are disgusted. The the main characters, you know, obviously religious parents are, uh are upset. Someone from the council on uh, American Islamic Relations did a medium post that was like trying to pipe up and be like, also the film is Islamophobic, and <laughs> it's just such an uphill battle. Like you're in the midst of a pedophile outrage. People don't care about that. No, no one cares. And I also, I did, yeah, I thought it it. I can't speak to the realities of, like, Senegalese village life. I-, I thought that stuff was handled sensitively, too. You can't deny that there are patriarchal immigrant cultures in France. I mean, that's that's part of it.
0: Right. So the girl, she's she's torn between these two sort of, like, funhouse mirror images of the world where the home that she lives in, her mother is 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 forced essentially to accept that her husband is bringing in a second wife. Um, and she has this, you know, this, this, uh, it's a patriarchy, but she also lives with these women who are like having incredibly strict standards for, for, uh, for behavior. You know, her brothers are allowed to be little, bro- little boys while she's forced to work. Um, you know, and so in this way, like people are – it's interesting that people are really not talking about that element of the story at all. This is just about child pornography, what they call child pornography. But there is this – I think that's, a, that's an, an interesting and unexplored aspect of the film – is that, so it's not just about the sexualization of children, it's also about the adultification of women, right? So yeah. in this, in the, in the Parisian middle school, um, sort of more westernized world that she's in, it's this hyper sexualized culture. In her at home world, she's still being, like, she gets her period. she's 11 years old, and her auntie says, you're a woman now, and talks about how she was married at that, or she was engaged at that age, right? Yeah. So it is this sort of, you know, they're, uh, kind of two sides of the same coin here, where these child- children are still being treated like adults. It's just that one one side of that is like deeply repressive and sex negative and the other is hypersexual.
1: Isn't the obvious solution here to do like you switch off every day between sort of... (laughs) Muslim conservative culture and sort of dressing like a, a would be slut if you're a few years older.
0: Well, that's what she does. That's kind of what she does. You know, she like leaves home and like once she, she leaves school, leaves the house, she like puts on her skimpy outfits, which is something that, you know, not just like a Senegalese immigrant would do. That is also something that like girls in my middle school would do as well.
1: Well, I mean, that's that's part of what makes it uncomfortable. It's like there are there are girls that age who dress like that and you see it, and you're like, Jesus Christ, like put something on. But it's like, part of what makes me feel uncomfortable is that it's talking about stuff that girls do. I just I don't know. I, no matter what people were going to respond with outrage. There were just there were shots that made me feel uncomfortable maybe in a way that wasn't necessary. I just but I also think we should acknowledge that like everyone involved in the online culture wars is like is benefiting from this. Like let me um let me read you a couple tweets from um close personal friend of the podcast, Aja Romano from Vox.
0: Oh, yes. Yeah, I'm sure she's listening right now. This
1: was, I think, two tweets. I just copied and pasted the text. Incidentally, I'm a critic who highly recommends Netflix's hashtag cuties. It's a wonderful, poignant, challenging, and nuanced coming-of-age film smartly crafted by a wonderful director. The controversy surrounding it seems to be propaganda fueled by QAnon types and anti-Semites. I also feel like you couldn't have picked a better film to frame such a controversy around. I'm frankly delighted by a bunch of bigots settling in with pitchforks to flame the pedophile movie and discovering this lovely, subtle story about girls battling fraught gender roles. Uh, I'm just i so sick of this bullshit because an increasing amount of, of both political and culture writing, she is trying to get people mad at her on Twitter so that then... When when all the QAnon and anti-pedophile, whatever, crowds yell at her, then she'll do the, oh, help, I'm being harassed. Like, look how evil these people are. It's just everyone – so many people benefit from the outrage even as they decry it, even as we record a podcast about it.
0: Well, she's also signaling to her tribe. It, yes. It,
1: yeah. It's also – it's so weird. I'm frankly delight- – she's saying she's delighted that the bigots are going to watch this movie and then come away learning about uh, – I'm just, I just. This is part of the reason I've taken a break from Twitter. It's just like, uh, so so much of this isn't really genuine. Like so much of the anger on both sides. I do think there's like a small subset of people crazy enough to think this will actually stoke child trafficking, as though that's how child traffickers work. Like now that there's a Netflix movie that's controversy, I'm going to get into child trafficking.
0: Right, and we are going to in the next part of the show. Where one of the reasons I wanted to have Elizabeth Nolan Brown on is because she's written a lot about panic about. These moral panics over things like child trafficking. Um, So we'll get a little bit more into the reality of that shortly. One thing about this, like it, it definitely this is a this is like hot culture war topic, but it doesn't quite fall neatly along the lines that it usually does. Um, Like Tulsi Gabbard, for instance. You know, generally Tulsi Gabbard is sort of beloved by the free speech crowd. Well what i mean canc- she was trying to cancel netflix over a film that i sort of also doubt that she saw if she really thought that it was child pornography because there's no like there's no there's no fucking nudity in it there's no sex in it that is not child pornography it's no more pornographic than i don't know like uh, with like toddlers and tiaras which incidentally i watched last night um, because i wanted to compare the two toddlers and tiaras way more fucked up than cuties yeah. there's this scene i like i watched it i i only watched it for a little while but it's this scene, this is a reality show, right? So this is actual, this is not acting. These people are not trained. Um, this, is, this is reality. Or, you know, the sort of simulation of reality that reality TV show uh, constructs. Um, but there's this scene where this four-year-old is projectile vomiting, literally projectile vomiting, and her mom is like, shit, we have a competition coming up. We already paid the entry fees. You're getting on that plane. That's way more fucked up, way more fucked up than this movie.
1: Uh, Yeah, it is fucked up that this kid would try to sabotage her mom's dreams (laughs) and not just get on the fucking plane. I mean, do you know how hard her mom worked to put her in that position? She's going to... Puke a little bit and be like, I don't want to go. I anyway, I agree with you. That's really disturbing.
0: Okay, Jesse. Okay, so, but that's the thing. It's like a lot of the same people who were bitching about this movie are also, I'm assuming, people who don't have a problem with child pageants. Like, do you think that Ted Cruz has a problem with child pageants in Texas?
1: No, I bet he's uh judged several of them.
0: (laughs) He probably has the tapes. Can you imagine if,
1: if you're a little kid uh dancing on stage and you look up and you see that giant? fucking oh, face staring back oh, at
0: you oh man Ugh. so it, it's just there was a lot of hypocrisy but i did i was in a way sort of reassuring to see that this did cross some some cultural or tribal lines like um elizabeth bruning from washington post who's new york times now oh new york times now yeah She's a Catholic, but she's a hardcore leftist. She was also disturbed by this movie. Ben Shapiro had a pretty nuanced take on this, um, and I'm curious as to how Ben Shapiro's uh, audience, you know, felt about this. But Ben pointed out that, you know, the marketing was bad. The marketing was the problem, and the scenes were disturbing. But the message of the film was not one that is pro-child exploitation by any means. And it, it, no. Yeah, no, it's just no been, one, like, yeah. really fucking remarkable and frustrating to see so many people try to cancel this film and ruin the director and ruin fucking Netflix if they haven't even seen it.
1: Yeah. it's. Um, I mean, this this is just how it always goes down. People decide they're mad and then get mad without knowing the specifics i i will say like pedophilia is one of those subjects where you do get weird um divisions on the left and right like i think you and i have both written a little bit about you know this pretty scientifically well-founded idea that pedophiles don't have control over it it's almost like a sexual orientation
0: yeah not that they don't have control over their behavior but the urges yeah right i don't even think urges is the word i think attraction yeah um that's the uh, you know Pedophiles. This is something David Lay wrote recently. Um, pedophiles. The evidence we we have shows that pedophiles are born, not made. And he also points out that the majority of people who abuse children are not pedophiles. There is a difference between a, a child abuser and a pedophile. The pedophile has this inborn. Involuntary attraction—that does not mean that they are going to abuse children.
1: I, I was working on this like fascinating piece about this that I got to go to Canada for, and it just got—it was like the worst rejection of anything I've ever written, and I still want the piece to land somewhere. But it's—it's it's actually really interesting, and but yeah, that's the subject where you get huge left-right convergence of like a subset of lefty feminists hate the idea that pedophiles don't control their attractions because they see that as excusing it somehow. And the sort of the string, the pedophile up cohort tends to be both uh, conservative Christians and a certain subset of, of leftist feminists. So it,
0: Yeah, it's sort of the same uh, coalition over like pornography. Yes. Yes.
1: Yeah, exactly. Maybe it's like second wave feminists. Yeah,
0: yeah. There's certainly a a lot of of feminists or people who consider themselves feminists who are sex positive and pro porn or pro ethical porn or whatever. But there are also feminists who think that, you know, basically anything with nudity is inherently exploitation. Do you still want to
1: do uh, you've been emailing all week? saying you wanted to rank the kids in the movie from <laughs> Hot- hottest to fugliest. you still want to do that now? Should we save that for patrons?
0: Let's save it for patrons, although I will say that my biggest problem with the movie, two problems. One, subtitles. I cannot play Tetris on my phone if I'm watching fucking subtitles. I would appreciate it if they would do this in English next time.
1: You would appreciate it if the French, just to be clear, if the French Senegalese director you want her to learn English. Well, she probably knows English, but to teach everyone English and just do films in English.
0: Yes. Second okay, problem. Girls were too fat. <laughs> they were too fat. All those girls, they needed to take a, a pole dancing class, work off some of that baby weight.
1: There was there was one. There was a token fat girl. Yeah. I was <laughs> Jesus Christ. They also like, you know, during the dances, they just weren't passionate enough for me. I don't know what it was. I just, I was like... <laughs>
0: I wanted to see a little bit more tongue.
1: I I found some of those scenes really hard to watch and disturbing, but I guess um, it was it overall it was a good. I part.
0: did not find them hard to watch because I had seen so much like uh, catastrophizing over this film that I yeah. really exp- and I had seen the the clip floating around so I expected it to be way more sexual than it actually was and I expected the girls to actually be exploited in the film I thought they were going to get fucking raped um and then and when I tweeted something about you know how if these girls actually like is there any evidence that they were exploited um a lot of people responded to that saying something like uh, well, they can't give consent. And it's like, you know, you're right. They cannot give consent to have sex. They can give consent to dance or like comparing it to like the Catholic Church. Like this. No one was raped. No one was raped. As far as we know, no one was even emotionally harmed or scarred by this. I would assume that the fucking backlash is probably more scarring than doing this on a on a clothes set with a child psychologist and your parents and like sensitivity you know, whatever people around making sure that you're okay. The director seemed to take every precaution when filming this. And if nobody was harmed, why are we concerned about people being harmed?
1: Yeah, this was a pretty crazy uh, culture war blow up.
0: One thing here, like, I do appreciate that Tulsi and Ted Cruz said what what like people were thinking, but maybe didn't say which was like, what we're really uncomfortable about is the idea that adults will jerk off to this film. That's what they're uncomfortable about. Well, if if you're uncomfortable with the idea that like pedophiles are going to find children attractive, take children out of catalog. Stop posting photos of your children online. Yeah.
1: I doubt these guys are like discerning. I'm trying to remember what I was like when I was that age. I think I was just like
0: Oh, I bet you were sexy. Yeah,
1: not quite. I think I do remember <laughs> Going through one phase when I was like me and like my three or four hapless male friends would get dropped off at a mall. We had this vague idea we we're gonna quote talk to girls. So we would like just like three or four or five awkward 12-year-old dudes wandering around a mall, supposedly searching for girls, but we never talked to any. I don't I don't even know what we thought was gonna happen. I think because like there's so much media where like People just suavely, like, sidle up to one another and start talking. But, yeah, 12-year-old me.
0: Didn't work in your case? No.
1: I said 12. This was when I was 25, actually.
0: (laughs) I bet you looked exactly like you do right now when you were 12.
1: Yeah, I was born exactly this way with the Jufro and everything. And the, in the cargo the shorts. I was born in cargo shorts. I just had like skin flaps on my hips that were shaped exactly <laughs> like cargo shorts.
0: Oh, you were born naked? Is that what you're saying, Jesse? Disgusting.
1: <laughs> my parents are such pedophiles, they let me be born naked.
0: <laughs> Fucking arrest those people.
1: Uh, yeah. I'm glad I'm not a pedophile is the thing I've realized over the years.
0: I'm glad too. I think it would be really difficult. I know this is maybe controversial, but I feel for these people. I mean, nobody... Nobody asked to be attracted to children. Nobody asked that. And there are like, a, there's a wide world of of pedophiles. They call themselves non-offending pedophiles or minor attracted people. People have a lot of problem with this. There's a lot of them on Twitter. Um, I've written about this. We'll put we'll put a link in the show notes if you want more information on 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 non offending pedophiles. But there are all of these laws that make it more difficult for them to get support, like mandatory reporting laws. All of these social media platforms have taken down like their Discord chats because they think that they're uh, or because other people accuse them of doing things like distributing child pornography or trading child pornography. It's not actually what happens in these chats. They're support groups, and so these people just need support so that they are less likely to abuse children and instead of giving them support we make it harder we make it we make it so that they can't tell a therapist so that they can't talk to each other it's just like if the if the goal is to protect children we're doing it in the wrong fucking way
1: yeah and this is what like i think sometimes the conversation of stigma is a little overstated or silly but this is one of those areas where it's like if you can't even talk about this openly or talk about the science of it you're i think it's definitely you're making likely these uh Guys they're mostly guys are more likely to offend um so I'd, yeah I'd rather people worry about that side of it than fucking cuties
0: would you rather be born a pedophile or a gamer? Is there a difference?
1: <laughs> you know they're really just two two side two sides of the same coin. <laughs> Can you imagine growing up like realizing that all you really wanted was to play video games, how painful that would be, how you would have totally. to hide it from people i I don't know what I'm gonna do this winter like. COVID winter is going to suck. I'm sort of worried I'm going to have a gaming relapse and like just spend 200 hours on some stupid game. I don't have enough to do. We should record 12 days a week. We
0: should. Do you uh, do we need to send you to gaming rehab? That
1: should be a reality show if it isn't already.
0: Oh, no. Well, it does exist. There's a gaming rehab or there's like a technology rehab out here in Washington that I I did a piece on and when visited. Um, I will tell you, the residents were not the most well-adjusted boys I have ever met.
1: (laughs) No, no way. Really?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's shocking.
1: Anything else about cuties?
0: Um, no, let's bring on and B. Elizabeth Nolan Brown is a senior editor at Reason Magazine and, according to a tweet that I saw today, a child pornography apologist. <laughs> Elizabeth Nolan Brown. Thank you for having. Thank you for coming to the show.
2: Uh, thank you for having me on. That's quite the welcome.
1: <laughs> are, are you going to apologize for child pornography for your whole appearance, or should we budget some time to talk about other stuff, or what?
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I've reliably heard the same. I think about you guys on the internet these days too. So
0: <laughs> I'm not actually a child pornography apologist, but I am a pedophile <laughs> apologist. So just let's get that on the record. Well, thank you so much for coming on. We wanted to have you on because you have written so well um and for a long time about these sort of sex panics that are um that seem to have reached a fucking fever pitch in the last couple of years. Um so first of all, how did you how did this become your beat?
2: Yeah, so I started a Reason magazine about a little over six years ago and one of the things I, I knew I wanted to write about there, which and you're kinda of, we're kinda of lucky we get a sort of Pick you know our own topics so long as they fit in this broadly you know they are about culture or politics and libertarianism so um I really wanted to write about sex worker rights and things like that um and as you know but I, I was very much coming at it just from a like prostitution you know uh, decriminalization adult you know adult sex workers and, and their movement um. And things like that. And as soon as I started writing about it, though, it became very clear as soon as you were in that space that just like there was so much panic going on about this idea of sex trafficking, uh, which you know, people have have made into a sort of crazy movie style uh, happening in their minds. And there was this idea that there was an epidemic in it about it ha- happening in the United States. And I just you couldn't write anything about the rights of adult sex workers or the rights of consenting adults in general to, you know, be having sex or getting paid for it or consuming certain, you know, adult entertainment without people being like, but what about the sex trafficked kids? So that's what really prompted me to start looking into this and looking into sort of, um, you know. Know, what was behind the numbers and what was behind how we were actually kind of prosecuting it and, and attacking it from a police perspective in the U.S.?
0: Okay, so let's get into that. So tell us, what are some of the myths about sex trafficking in the United States? And where do these myths come from?
2: Yeah, there's a lot of them. Um, one of the biggest ones, I think, is that, you know, there's this number that floats around that just won't die, this zombie stat that 300,000 children are at risk of being sex trafficked, or sometimes people just say are being sex trafficked in the US every year. It comes from this crazy study from the 90s that the author himself, uh, Richard Estes now disavows. um And is like, don't, don't pay attention to the study. It was bad. It was flawed methodology. The, you know, National Crimes Against Children's Center has been like, don't cite this study. Even some of the more wacky anti-trafficking groups have disavowed it at this point, like Polaris Project, because it's just so wildly out of nowhere. The guy just sort of, um, hit the, the researchers Made up sort of a bunch of categories about what made someone at risk of being trafficked, uh, which they just by which they just meant being in the, selling sex, having sex for money when you were under eighteen, um, whether or not there's like force or trafficker involved, and they you know said things like being in foster care, having divorced parents, like all these things, and if people had multiple categories, they tallied them up twice. They didn't like you know say that was one kid. So it was just that's where this crazy number come from came from. But it got cited so widely that people now. Just, you know, um in the media and in Congress and everything, just cite it like it's fact, which is just insane. I mean, if you think about that, that would be so many children and it would just be it, it's insane when when you actually kind of break it down, but it still just won't seem to die, this bad idea.
1: The- There's something so frustrating about those sort of zombie statistics where it just doesn't matter how many times you debunk it, how many times the people who produce the statistic debunk it. Is it just that people, it's sort of beneficial to people's own political priorities for it to be true?
2: Yeah, I think that. These kind of bad statistics, you can see it in pretty much any field you look at. It's really crazy how much of our policy and how much of our ideas about things, so many different things are built on this. I was just um, reading this book called The Feminist War on Crime, and uh, the author, Aya Gruber, she gets into how sort of uh, the big panic about domestic violence, I mean, which is obviously a real issue, again, like like people being exploited in the sex industry. these happen. But the sort of myth about it, there were all these really bad statistics that, that were bad studies that got cited that the authors later disavowed that kind of went behind things like the, the violence against women act and the crime bill, which Joe Biden is now touting. And I didn't, I didn't even realize some of this stuff, but it's just really interesting. I feel like anywhere you sort of look about the way we've, we've had these moral panics and that that led to this bad policy. There's always these bad statistics that underlie it.
0: Well, so what do we actually know? I mean, do we know how many children or adults are trafficked every year? Uh,
2: No, we do not. And also, so under the, under federal law, um, trafficking is, you know, if someone is an adult being forced into sexual activity for money um, through force or fraud or coercion or anyone who is under 18, regardless of, of whether those things are involved, if it's just, you know, Eighteen-year uh, sorry, a seventeen-year-old who is uh, pretending to be older and selling sex, then that's still counted as trafficking. And there's something like a few thousand cases reported by uh, police departments and fe- the federal government every year. It depends on the year, and obviously not all police departments report. But anyways, when you look at you know we don't know, but when you look at this huge discrepancy between what people say, and these are not cases necessarily that got convicted either. These are just you know where investigations were open. So and a lot of times, they you know, they don't turn out to actually, you know, be the case that it's trafficking. So, yeah, the numbers are much, 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 much smaller than than these statistics would lead people to believe.
1: What's the um? I mean, I assume you get sort of a steady stream of crazy backlash for just wanting to cover this in, in a scientific way. How how intense has that gotten?
2: Yeah, I mean, mostly it's it's not that bad. I think actually, I mean, it's really great that a lot of people have been very receptive, especially in other media. Um, and, you know, other people have done some great work on this. Like, Katie, you've done some great work. Uh, Glenn Kessler at The Washington Post. And, and I think it's started to, to penetrate sort of on some level, um, and definitely more so in the past few years than, like, when I started writing about this in 2014. Um, normally... A lot of the pushback I got was from the left or uh, not really the left, I guess you'd say, but, um, Democrats, liberals, progressives, whatever. And people who love Hillary Clinton and Kamala Harris and, um, you know, all these bills like FOSTA and the ones that came before it and were just sort of really like rah rah about, I mean, Obama was huge on this. It was a big thing during the Obama era that they were, they were passing all these, you know, bad policies that actually just target, um, consensual sex work, but saying it was human trafficking and the vast majority of sort of mainstream Progressives loved it, and so I mostly got attacked by them for a while. Um, and now, though, it's just all the QAnon people, <laughs> or uh, or or just the right more broadly. But it's it, so it comes in in waves, I guess. Where it's one or the other, it's interesting.
1: The 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 Foster thing was sort of one of the most important um, policy crossroads in recent years,
2: right? Yeah, and I think that that actually really did help too with a lot of people who are more centrist or you know center center left kind of liberals coming around to the idea. Um, I think that really exposed people, a lot of people for the first time, to the sex worker rights movement and to the idea that maybe some of this information that they'd been fed about trafficking was distorted and and the idea that even though sometimes these policies sound sound good if you just sort of have like a very surface level thing like yeah we don't want that to happen let's pass a law saying it can't happen but actually the you know you can't just do that it still happens and then the things that these laws actually do make it worse by creating all these policies that um you know make it harder for adult sex workers and so therefore more dangerous for sort of anybody, whether they're being victimized or doing it willingly.
0: Right. We should probably explain a little bit about SESTA and FASTA. So what these were, this is a pair of bills that essentially made it impossible to advertise or incredibly difficult to advertise sex work online. Um, And so uh, Backpage was prosecuted. Um, You would know more about this than i would about who 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 actually was prosecuted by this but what this did is so if you're an adult you know consenting sex worker uh, not being trafficked and you set up a website um to attract clients so you would be forced to take this down um craigslist craigslist stopped there and did their like casual encounter section was where a lot of sex work got advertised and so people had to turn to the streets um so this so this bill that was, you know, that was sponsored by all of these so-called like feminists, primarily Democrats, like like Harris and Elizabeth Warren and people like that, um, actually made life more dangerous for sex workers.
2: Yeah, totally. And just to just to clarify a few things. Um, so nobody's actually been prosecuted. So nobody's there's not been a successful prosecution under FOSTA at all yet. And until recently, there was not even any charges brought under FOSTA. Um, Backpage was taken down through good old, like, the way that people have taken down prostitution or um, vice crime drug things for decades, which is through racketeering charges. Um, so, and m- money laundering charges. So they actually didn't, you know, that was. but that's interesting because they really pushed this idea that it did. Like, they made it seem like this FOSTA was needed in order to take Backpage down that was one of the big selling points and they also you know kind of have taken credit for it like yeah fosta made this happen when in reality it wasn't necessary to go after Backpage, and i don't think that you know that prosecution is right anyways but like that's another topic um yeah so fosta ended up saying though that websites like Backpage or any website on the internet um that has you know user generated content um is, and is protected by this federal law called Section 230, that it, it would lose the protection of that if it was found to, you know, promote sex trafficking. And it also made it a new federal crime to host content that promotes prostitution or sex trafficking. So it didn't just, even though they kept saying, oh, no, this is only about exploitation, this is only about underage people. No, it made it a federal crime to host content that promotes adult willing consensual prostitution and sex work. So because so much can be related to that, even including, you know, ads for um, just hookup apps or like, you know, Cat, Craigslist uh, sections or uh, dating apps and or just any sort of content related to sex or related to sex worker rights and safety and, you know, apps that sex workers use to help each to tell each other about bad clients and warn each other. All of that stuff could be said to promote prostitution. And so they face these huge liabilities now without the with uh, under FOSTA. And so a lot of them, even though there's been no prosecutions, just started, yeah, taking down content because it was like it's. It's too risky now, we can't do it. So they're either canceling sex workers accounts or just, you know, per- not permitting whole sections and categories of activity and things like that.
0: It, there does seem to be this weird cognitive distance where at the same time where there's this sort of narrative, like you see this repeated on Twitter all the time, sex work is work. At the same time that that's happening, there's this sort of sex positivity movement. At the same time that that's happening, there's also this weird moral panic about sex going on. And I would consider some Me Too cases to be to fall under that category. The QAnon stuff definitely falls under that category. Um, so have you like, what do you think about all this stuff that's going on? We've seen this before. We saw this in the, in the sort of satanic panic, you know, daycare wars of the 1980s and 90s, but it seems to have reemerged in recent years. What's your take on why this is happening?
2: Yeah, the QAnon and, you know, Pizzagate, the, the far right sort of uh, freak out over this idea that there's like, I mean, the global cabal of high-powered politicians, sex-trapping kids. It's actually been really great for debunking some of the myths because now that they've made it like so crazy and so just like insane to believe um it I, I feel like it's prompting a lot more people to be like oh wait like maybe some of this is all just nuts to begin with whereas again like just a few years ago it was really really hard to get through to a mainstream audience at all, or even a slightly, you know, center, progressive, whatever audience at all that any of this, uh, you know, not that there was Hillary Clinton was trafficking kids, but the idea that, you know, hundreds of thousands of kids were being trafficked. They were going to pick you up at the Walmart parking lot and take your, you know, take your toddlers and sell them for sex. And it was just that it was happening in your backyard and everything. I mean, that was the constant, constant message. And so it's, I don't, I don't want to, you know, I don't, Mean to say that I, you know QAnon is its own weird, harmful threat. Thread, but like a lot of people want to act like this just came out of the far right, fringy corners of the internet you know, and that this is like, just a creation of the right. And I really think it's not. I mean, this is the stuff that people like Kamala Harris, and like so many um Democratic politicians, and I mean, and Republican politicians, but mainstream Republican politicians, and mainstream outlets, like the New York Times, and just all these, you know, uh, mainstream media have been pushing CNN has done it a ton. So they've all been pushing this idea for years. And then you're like, Oh, ordinary people are now more receptive to the idea that, this is happening in a crazy level. I mean, that's not just coming out of nowhere. That's coming out of this culture that they created.
0: Totally. How much time have you spent speaking with the advocates for these uh, possibly non-existent um, victims of trafficking? Like the save that, like the save the children groups. The um, there's a prominent one in Seattle that I'm not remembering the name of right now. But these groups that are really insistent that there is an epidemic of child trafficking, and I'm not talking about QAnon types. I'm talking or sex trafficking in general.
2: The more mainstream ones. I mean, yeah, the mainstream. Yeah, ones. like Polaris and Cindy McCain's got one. Yeah, I know the one in Seattle you're talking about. Yeah. Now I'm, on. I've yeah, I've interviewed. Um, all of those people in the past, or most of, uh, people from all of those organizations in the past, um, I've been, you know, I follow them on their social media and I've, I've you know, read the things they put out. Um, I have not really like engaged directly with them very much just because they don't want to. <laughs> um, you know, I've, I've tried and then like usually it's me trying to like, I've reached out to Polaris Project, which is the big one that runs the National Human Trafficking Hotline uh, media department or people all the time trying to get them to answer my questions and they just like don't respond. Um, and when I first started, day of writing about this. I think people were much more receptive about it. And now it's sort of like they just know that. Now they know who you yeah. are. Yeah. <laughs> and
0: So um, I don't
2: really get get a lot of answers these days.
0: Um, oh, I'm, I'm curious because I wonder what the motivation is. I know like the one in Seattle, the, the name of which I'm unfortunately forgetting is uh, is basically is, has a Christian mission. Um, and so that's, kind of, that's sort of the the genesis of this of the this thing—it's sort of this anti-sex, you know, Christian group—and um, I, I wonder if that's if that's common, or if like like why is it that you can you could bring the statistics to anybody and say like, no, you're not like, or the or or refute the statistics that they have, and that there's still an an inability to say like, oh, maybe this is not the massive problem that I think it is. Do you have any sort of I'm, I'm, Jesse? This might be a better question for you. You know more about human psychology than I do.
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean I'll I'll let Liz take that first. It's just just so hard because these issues get so fiercely tribalized and there aren't that many people who are just like, you know, objectively, rationally looking into them that there's – I think there's no real easy answer on how to fight misinformation other than to get people um, like – Heads of communities who are already trusted to, to communicate the right views.
2: It kind of comes from there. There are three sort of groups that are driving these myths and and sort of making them into people's consciousness. Who um, and like you said, the, there's there's Christian groups that are a part of it. Um, and, but another big group, the biggest you know, group aside from this sort of Christian right is is radical feminists or just, you know, who are opposed to all sex work and opposed to all prostitution. Um there's like documents of them sort of talking in the nineties about like this coalition, this anti porn coalition they'd had with the right, about how they were gonna make, you know, anti prostitution their next big thing. And people weren't really against prostitution, so they needed to frame it as trafficking. I mean this was like a kind of conscious strategy starting in the nineties. And it was also um a big thing for people who had been sort of uh, getting a lot of money on grants to do alleged things around domestic violence, but not actually like things that mattered, like providing emergency shelters or like things that women needed directly, but like awareness campaigns and messaging. Like There'd been a huge sort of uh, nonprofit industrial complex built up around that in the, the 80s and 90s. And when that sort of money dried up, they needed a new issue. And so these three groups sort of made sex trafficking, um, their issue. And you see that today still, I mean, like there's obviously a lot of well-meaning people who get, you know, uh, involved in this, but I think that the, the rhetoric and the underlying forces are coming from, you know, this like Christian right and radical femme left who are both just opposed to prostitution and sex work, even between adults in general. And then people whose livelihoods depend on it. Like you've got so many organizations now who employ so many people and their whole job is again, not giving sex workers or trafficking victims material resources, not providing money for funds, not advocating for the government to provide money for funds for shelters or anything like that, but just to have like, more money for awareness campaigns and to post hotline numbers on like things and to give gas station attendants and um, airline stewardesses and uh, whatever, like uh, airline attendants, you know, training about how to spot trafficking and things like that.
0: Yeah. I've noticed this every time I've been in an airport for the last couple of years, you're like in the bathroom and there's a sign in 14 different languages about how to spot a trafficking victim. And it's things like, you know, like, Like, doesn't make eye contact. Like, who makes eye contact with people in a fucking airport?
2: Yeah, and the thing is that Polaris Project pushed and pushed and pushed because they run the hotline for um, the government to require in these successive bills that this... Number be posted in more and more and more and more places. And it has been successively for the past like 10 years. And now that's one of the big things they brag about or not brag about, but use to say why they need more funding is because so many calls to the number have increased. And so, but like it's because the number has been posted everywhere. If you actually <laughs> look at the calls, it's not saying that they're trafficking, like they count a case of trafficking as anybody who calls them and says like, maybe someone's been trafficked. And you're like, but they've got all these or like, or they just want to ask questions like anything. So it's just like the numbers everywhere. Of course calls went up, but it's like one of the tricks they use again to sort of now, you know, every time they put out the new numbers each year, all the like local media reports on it. Like we had this many calls to the local human trafficking hotline in our area. If
1: if if I'm on a plane and a kid won't stop crying, that when the plane lands, I, <laughs> I'll record their mom or dad for trafficking because why else would a kid not shut up on a plane?
2: If you see all those stories, right, where people keep accusing like uh, multiracial families or couples of being trafficking each other on airplanes. Like yes. it's become this phenomenon now.
0: Um will you talk a little bit about law enforcement's role in sort of perpetuating this idea that sex trafficking is everywhere?
2: Yeah, it's been, you know, very good for uh law enforcement in, in many ways. Um it's sort of let people uh let the federal government get involved in local law enforcement um in a way that the drug war does but has been like dwindling in its, you know, return on effort for because people are less enthusiastic about like basic pot stings and stuff. So um, the idea that the federal government can funnel money to local police departments to do sex trafficking stings, which then if you look at them, they're just old fashioned vice stings. It's targeting prostitution, it's targeting drugs, or people who have unregistered guns, or um, driving without a license, all this stuff. They'll arrest like people on all those things. And then they'll be like, we did a sex trafficking sting. And we arrested, you know, 150 suspects. And you'll look and like, Two of them were maybe promoting prostitution or some charges that could be considered pimping, which we don't really know what that means exactly, but like could be exploitative. The rest are just all these other, you know, vice crimes with no victims. Um, so it's become, yeah, it's become a big boon for that. And then also just now in the Trump—I mean, not even just in the Trump era. This was starting under Obama, but it's sort of intensified in the Trump era. Is it's become very much an anti-immigration or an immigration enforcement effort. You've seen um, a lot of the shift at the federal level be from. Uh, child sex trafficking to sex trafficking of Asian women. They're obsessed with Asian massage parlors and Chinese massage parlors. And so there's just been tons of Homeland Security and FBI getting involved and um, funneling money to local police departments to target Asian massage parlors. And you always see, again, these big things like we saw with um, with Robert Kraft and things like that. And that's just happening all around the country where it's just targeting adult women who were uh, and, and their clients at massage parlors and then saying that they're doing a, a sex
0: trafficking bust. Right. Robert Kraft, he was the owner of the Patriots. Is that right?
2: Yeah. He's the owner of the Patriots. And he was uh, arrested getting a, a hand job at a massage parlor in Florida from like a 50 year old woman um, who was a legal masseuse and, you know, a legal, uh, a documented immigrant and everything owned the business.
0: <laughs> yeah. There was a, a, while that was happening, there was a, f- a kind of similar case in Seattle that I covered Um there was a sting, a raid of a bunch of different, you know, Asian massage parlors. And then, you know, I went to the I went to the press conference, they were sort of uh, patting themselves on the back for saving all of these victims of human trafficking, but nobody was charged with human trafficking at all. You know, and and I asked at one point, I said, like, has anybody did anybody ask these women if they wanted to be rescued or if they were even trafficked or if they came here voluntarily because they wanted to move to the States and make way more money than they could doing anything else? I mean, the work we might find the work distasteful. But if you're, you know, from a, a, a village in China and you're and you're relatives or your friends recruit you into this field and you know what you're doing that is not trafficking
2: yeah i i remember this one in seattle or, or a similar one in seattle and there was like all these korean um they called them brothels but they were just like apartments where sex workers were working together out of them and they were making like hundreds of dollars per you know um hour and they were yeah. they had all this nice stuff and they were trying to say that they were trafficked and like once you looked at all the evidence like nothing supported that whatsoever they were just here on like student visas or work visas and this was how they were choosing to make money for a short time before going back to their home countries but because they crossed borders especially people were just like oh they must be trafficked like yeah sure people just you know eat it up
0: and this this particular case that i wrote about they investigated this they, for three years, right? So and so if they're actually, like, you would think that if they were actually people being abused, if they were victims of trafficking, that you would not wait three fucking years before you would go, quote, unquote, rescue them.
2: And they send in, you see this all the time, and they send in undercover cops um, or undercover agent, like, um, federal agents to do sexual activity. With Get jobs. Yeah, and and then they say would do that for years on end while saying this is horrible exploitation. And you're like, okay, if that's true, like if your premises are true here, then that's even worse. Like you just sat there and got handjobs from these women for three years instead of rescuing them from sex slavery. Yeah, I'm sure they didn't enjoy it. <laughs> no,
0: no. Um, Jesse, did you have other questions?
1: No, I mean, I, I just, I find this such a fascinating area because of, you know, my overlapping interest in the way people spread bad information online. I just, um, yeah, I've, I've, you know, written about controversial stuff. I can't imagine putting myself at the center of these sorts of storms given that people just, um, it gets pretty hysterical. Um,
0: I actually, I did have one more question for you. How big a problem do you think QAnon is?
2: Uh, I don't know. You know, it's it's so hard to say. It's people's, I mean, I think that people definitely are overreacting somewhat about it and that it's just sort of a fad. Um, and, you know, we've always had crazy conspiracy theorists and this is just like one of the new forms they're taking. Uh, I, I, I don't know. How? What are your thoughts? I'm actually really curious.
0: I'm sort of feel the same way. I don't know. I mean, I'm concerned about it because I think it says a lot about where we are as a culture. Yeah. Um, and you know, the fact that some of these people are being elected to Congress is certainly disturbing, but I also don't think, I, I also think that the claims that this is some sort of like, you uh, you know, huge mass movement that is going to undermine the democratic project or whatever are I, I think those are overblown the same way that I think like you know, saying that Trump is going to usher us into fascism is overblown. Yeah. Um, basically my position on everything is it's overblown.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think that, you know, it, there is a danger that it could suck in people who just have like a normal concern for these sorts of issues and then sort of get them into more fringier elements. Um, but again, like I think sometimes that people give people too little credit for having agency when about, you know, distinguishing things. Um And I also think that there is a potential for, like I said, like this sort of thing to actually make a lot of people look twice at these statistics, because I mean, that's been my experience so far already has been that it seems like a lot more people like just quote unquote, normal people have been very, more receptive to this idea because now they're like, oh, what's this crazy sex trafficking conspiracy? And then they've also been like, well, what are the numbers for real? And been more receptive to the idea that maybe things are being overhyped. So, you know, they could have a positive upside too, you know. Maybe that's wishful thinking, but. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Plus the upside that, you know, you can order a, um, a dresser from Wayfair and get a free child in it. No <laughs> uh, <laughs> what a world. What a world. I guess we should probably explain that. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> You can Google it, yeah. Actually, don't Google it. You'll get don't on a Google list. It. Yeah. Liz, anything else you wanted to say? No,
2: just thanks so much for having you on. I'm a big fan of your podcast, so it's really exciting to get to talk to you guys.
0: Thank you for thank you for coming on. Thank you so much, Liz. Uh, we will um, post some links to uh, Elizabeth Nolan Brown's work in the show notes.
1: She's really good. She does really good work. I was glad we got to have her on.
0: Yeah, she's great. I mean, she is coke-funded. She does work for Reason Magazine, so we might get canceled for that. But I guess, you know, both of us have written for for Reason Magazine, so I guess we're both coke-funded, too.
1: But also, our podcast is coke-funded because of the cocaine we've been sharing, so it's like everyone, (laughs) one way or another, is coke-funded.
0: Just back and forth to each other.
1: (laughs) Just like this complicated arrangement of tariffs and taxes. We're billionaires, so... All right, this has been another... uh, Pedophile centered episode of Blocked and Reported. <laughs> I'm sorry we didn't get to Katie's rankings of the hottest kids and cuties. She did email them to me. They were provocative, that, different order for mine, but you know, it's a matter of taste. But uh, yeah, if you have any thoughts on that or anything else, Blocked and Reported podcast at gmail.com, Apple Podcast, rate and review us, please. Uh, subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash Blocked and Reported. Am I missing anything
0: you are missing the most as as always you are missing the most important thing which is we have a membership program on patreon.com if you join us you will get bonus content you will get more access to jesse and i i will be more likely to answer your emails jesse will be more likely to send you pictures of his horses uh you can find that at patreon.com slash blocked and reported and there's a great community of three thousand people and growing um who all you know, like the podcast and talk to each other. It's pretty great.
1: Yeah, definitely. Please check that out. This has been Blocked and Reported. I'm Jesse Single. And remember, if you see anyone doing anything that you don't like, they are a child sex trafficker and you should report them immediately.
0: And I'm Katie Herzog. And also remember, if someone accuses you of being a pedophile, just do what I do and point out that you don't even like children.